Well, this week, I was trying to have my devotions. And every single day when I have my quiet time with God, I pray four specific prayers. Well, one, two, three, four, five specific prayers. Um, it's a time for me for what's called centering prayer. It's a time for me to just get quiet before God and to just be relaxed. And one of the prayers that I pray every single day is I pray the model prayer, which we just did a few minutes ago. Mark chapter 6, it's, Jesus said, um, don't, be, don't be like, um, excuse me, when you pray, don't keep up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They think that they can be heard for the many words. Don't be like them. For your father knows what you need even before you ask him. Pray like this. And he gave them a model prayer, a sample prayer. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then he said, after the prayer, because if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And this week, as I was trying to have my quiet time, I was, I mean, I have said the Lord's Prayer for 50 years easily. And I, I can remember the day, I can remember the day my mom was teaching it to me. We were in the car heading to the church and she was, had supposed to be working with me all week on it and hadn't. And so we were driving to the church so that I could go to to, this, to what was called CCD, the Sunday school for the church that we were in. And I was supposed to already have the Lord's Prayer memorized, and I hadn't. And so she worked with me the whole trip to the church while my dad drove. And I remember distinctly doing that. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And for... And for and for what for and literally this week as I was having my quiet time with God and I've been praying this prayer for over 50 years I tried to say that prayer and I got to give us this day our daily bread and for for what what is it kingdom what is it I literally had to pull the thing out and look at it I couldn't figure out what the next phrase was and guess what? The next day, the same stinking thing happened. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have sinned or debted or trespassed against us. And I was, I was like, God, why? Why is this a struggle right now? What are you trying to bring to my attention here? And I have spent the last two or three days just reflecting on forgiveness. Am I forgiving? Because it says right after that prayer, Jesus said, if you are not willing to forgive those who have harmed you, the Father is not going to forgive you. So I thought about forgiveness. What does it mean to be forgiven? I pulled out the dictionary of Christian theology and I read the three-page long de definition of what forgiveness is and I, I was thinking about various scripture rep, uh, characters that we could talk about this morning who represent 
forgiveness. As a matter of fact, let's do that real quick because I'm not going to, I'm not going to really open up any particular life. But if you'll call out somebody from the Bible that talks to us through their story about what forgiveness is, share. What do you, somebody? King David. King David. Okay. Jacob and Esau. Paul. Peter. Peter. James and John. James and John. Who? Job. Who did he forgive? Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Anybody else? I'm sorry? Judas. Oh, Jesus. I was like, Judas didn't forgive anybody anything. Now, I did think about that, though, with Jesus and Judas. Think about that. Judas not once asked for forgiveness. But on the cross, in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, because I had to specifically study that one. One of the first, you know, first of the seven words, last words of Christ. Father, forgive them, for they don't understand what they're doing. Who was he saying about? He's saying about all who had a hand in this. One of them was Judas. If you look in the book of John chapter 13, Judas, Jesus said, the one who has shared bread with me has raised up his heel against me, which is a direct quote out of the Psalms, talking about my dearest one that I have shared hospitality with has basically, uh, uh, has basically spit in my face and walked away. Jesus poured his life into that man for three years. And he literally betrayed him with a kiss. And Jesus' words were, Father, forgive them, for they don't understand what they're doing. Who else? Um, the paraphernalia, Jacob was lowered through the roof. Your sins are forgiven. Yeah. That's an interesting story. And, and that's how he was healed. Yeah. The woman at the well. The woman at the well. How about Joseph? Think about that story. Don't worry about anything, guys, because... What you intended for evil, God intended for good. And God has raised up me as a savior to my entire clan now so that we will not perish in this famine that's going to last for seven years. So yeah, you intended harm, but I see how God used it for good. That's an incredible story of forgiveness. Anybody else? The woman caught in adultery. Luke chapter 15 very, very famous stories. A lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son. The son who rebels against his father and literally says, I wish you were dead because I want your money now. And the father gives it to him and he goes off and he squanders it. And then he comes back and he says, I'm not worthy to be your son, but if I could at least be a servant in your home so I could at least get something to eat. And have a place that's safe for me to stay. And the father just welcomes him. I almost had Craig play that video. When God ran. But, the, but think about that story. And this is, this is one of the characters I almost focused on for this sermon. Think about that story. There are three chief characters in that story. There's the father who was sinned against. There was the son who sinned. And there was the good, righteous, holy son. Who refused to forgive his brother for his sins. I have slaved for you. I have done for you. 
And all of these years, you have never once given me a fatted calf to share with my friends. But here this whoremonger comes back and you kill the best for him. You put a robe on him. You put rings on his hands. And the father's words are, my son, don't you get it? We have no choice but to do this. He was dead. He's now alive. He was dead to us. And he's now alive to us. This is a cause of rejoicing and celebration. Not a time for you to hold a grudge. That one, my goodness. I I could go on a full sermon on that one. But that's not what, that's not, well it is kind of what. (laughs) It is kind of what. But it's not his story that I'm supposed to tell you this morning. The the interesting part of this is that we have switched our format um, starting this Sunday. We are having communion twice a month. Normally when we have communion, we don't have the children. I mean, we do have the children present. This particular time, I mean, from here on out, we're only going to have the children gone one Sunday a month, and that'll be the third Sunday. But when we have communion on the first Sunday, they will be present for the whole service, including the sermon. Um... It, normally they wouldn't be. Normally they'd be out. But the topic that I'm talking about is a little bit PG. So I have to be careful in how I preach this morning. But I guess most of you will get what I'm about to say. Okay? When I was a little boy, I was about eight or nine years old. And we were living in a small town called Wheaton, Glenmont, Maryland. Uh, just outside of Washington, D.C. My dad was in the Navy. And we were stationed at, he was stationed at uh, Bethesda Naval Hospital. And we lived in this small community. I lived at 12127 Livingston Street, Wheaton, Maryland. I attended Glenmont Elementary School. Um, Mrs. Trantham was my fifth grade teacher. Judy Hall was one of my friends. Uh, my mom had a friend who lived across the street in the home that we, that, that, from where we lived. Um, I honestly don't know if her husband was still alive. I don't remember him being in the picture. She had two sons. One was like 19 and one was like 16. Ultimately, and this is not part of my story, but ultimately the oldest son uh, shot and killed her and then ended up going in prison. Um, It was a really messed up house. Really messed up house. Um, But this 16-year-old kid befriended this 9-year-old, 8, 9, 10-year-old kid who lived across the street. He was 16, I was 10. He was 15, I was eight, I was nine, so you understand. There was about a seven year, six or seven year difference. Um, he's the reason I'm claustrophobic today. Because when we were kids, when I was a little kid and he was an older kid, he invited me over to his house because they had a, a pool. It was about two and a half to three feet in depth and about 15 feet across. You know, the, the kind of pool that you can even buy at Walmart today and put up in your backyard. And um, he invited me over to swim. And while we're swimming, he said, I have an idea. Why don't we see who can swim underwater as long as they possibly can? Oh, okay. So he went first, and I counted. So he's swimming the perimeter under the water while I'm counting. One, one thousand. Two, one thousand. Three, one thousand. Four, one thousand. I get to 31. He comes up. (sighs) So he was underwater for about 31 seconds. So now I know what the target is for me to go underwater. 
So I take a couple, three deep breaths. Now again, I'm only like eight or nine years old. A couple, three deep breaths, and I begin swimming the perimeter of this pool while he's counting. Well, I'm counting to myself. One, one thousand, two, one thousand. And my lungs begin to burn, but I'm like, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33. And I come up because I beat him. And as I come up, he pushes me back down under the water. And I come back up, and he pushes me back down, and I nearly drowned. I nearly drowned because he thought it was funny to do that to me. And as a result, today, I struggle when I'm in a situation where I feel like I've lost control. I have anxiety when I feel trapped. I have anxiety when I feel, uh, when I, when I, when I, I feel uh, like I'm losing my air. Okay? If I can't breathe well, I get, I get a lot of struggle with anxiety and panic. I had to see a, a psychiatrist for it as a result when I was an adult. I mean, well, I was an adult. I was in the military. And they taught me breathing exercises to try calm myself down because it was nothing I could do to make it stop. It was just something that was almost innate in me now because of what this 14, 15 year old boy did to me when I was eight or nine years old. Well, we still uh, were friends after that. And um, he invited me over one time and did things with me that were totally inappropriate that any boy should do with another boy, especially a 16-year-old with a 10-year-old. And it happened more than once. And then we moved. And um, we just moved on with life. And then I went, got out of high school and joined the military. And I got into a really cool job where I was a a linguist. I was studying the Russian language. And during the 10 months that I was in the language training, I was being investigated by the the Office of Special Investigation for the Air Force for my background clearance so that I could get a top secret clearance and SCI, which is subcompartmented information, which is a deeper and higher level than just simple top secret clearance because I would need it to do the job that I was being trained to do. Well, when I finished my language training and I got to my next duty assignment, I met this really beautiful blonde. And then within that first week, I had to go to a a final briefing so that I could get my ID card so I could go to the school because it was in a secure area. And I went to this last briefing and they went through this litany of questions that I'd always answered before. Same Same litany of questions. And got to this one that said, have you ever had intimate relations with someone of your same gender? You know what I'm asking. And I fully, fully, fully intended to continue to answer that question as I had already answered it numerous times. No. But in that moment, I went, yes. Where did that come from? And that started an incredible ball rolling in my life. Where... I lost my job. I almost lost my career in the military because they tried to 
to, um, they tried to accuse me and prosecute me for falsifying under oath. Because I said that I lied, basically they were saying I lied when I filled out my enlistment application. Ultimately, I was forgiven of all of that by the military, and I was allowed to stay on active duty. However, I couldn't do the job for which I was trained. So they made me a carpenter, and I stayed right there at the base I was at, which actually was a wonderful thing, and God used it and did a great thing. And then, about eight years later or so, maybe seven years later, I got assigned to Clark Avers in the Philippines. And lo and behold, I had to have a SCI clearance in order, a top secret SCI clearance in order to do the job in the Philippines because I was going to be doing carpentry work in this building that was a secure building and they didn't need to, they didn't want to have to continually sanitize the the rooms where we're working. So they said, we're just going to clear these carpenters and electricians and plumbers to go in and do this remodeling job. And they had various places around the world that were being upgraded and they had this team of people that were being used to do that. And I was assigned to that team. An elite job. Pretty cool. And I'm like, yay! I got my clearance. That makes me feel so good. That makes me feel, yay! Because I answered truthfully this time. And there was no, and I said, and I did have this history, but, and they said, that's not an issue. Not an issue at all. No, I don't know. The person ahead of it, I don't know what they did, why they got all upset. It's not an issue. It's no big deal. You're not, no, of course. Cool. So I literally get called into the security office for my last interview before I get my badge. And the person says, blah, 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 blah. Same litany of questions. Nope, nope, nope. Yes, nope, 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 nope. Okay, yes, explain to me. I told him. He said, ah, no issue. Signed it. And I'm walking back to my dormitory. Not dormitory, to my house where we were living. And I'm thinking as I'm walking, and all of a sudden, I remember there were two incidents in my life, not with this 16-year-old guy, but with two other guys. Because I was only 10 or 11, and we were just playing. But it was it was indeed by the letter of the law, intimate relations with a member of the same gender. And I ended up going back and calling the guy and saying, listen, I remembered that I had never talked about this with anybody, and I just needed to make sure that it's okay. Because she said it was okay, so it's no big deal. Uh, You need to come back. So because I revealed things that I never revealed before, because I truly felt like I was supposed to say it, They pulled my clearance. I lost my job. I almost lost my career. Again, after a long period of investigation, blah, 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 they said, oh, that's not that big of a deal. And they let me go back to the same career field, but not that job, not that elite job. I just got moved over to another place. And I worked in that department as a carpenter. And I felt this big. I mean, I felt ridiculous. I felt dirty, I felt unacceptable, I felt gross. It was all stuff that was pre-Christ. It was all stuff that was done when I was 10 and 11 and 12 years old. I was a kid. I didn't know what I was doing and it was certainly not the H word. It was simply experimentation as a child. But I was branded and labeled and marked and scarred. And then I continued on with my military career and I ended up finishing my, and my wife 
isn't hearing anything that's new. She's known this since before we got married. This is all, this is all stuff that she's known about. And it's not anything that I'm uncomfortable saying to you guys, even though some of this is new to you. Because the, the reality is, it's all stuff that I'm not, I'm not under any kind of ownership of at all. And God has brought incredible healing and blessing and, and rightness. And I, I don't have time this morning to go through the whole story. But you needed to know the, the gist of this in order to hear what ended up ultimately happening in my life. I retired from the military. I went to the Nazarene Bible College in Colorado Springs. And part of my training as a Bible college student was I went to a one-year, 12-month cohort program for my bachelor's degree in Christian counseling. And during that, inter- that, that, that tr- training, I had to go through a minimum of 10 individual therapy sessions. I had to go through uh, group therapy, and then I had to go through mock family therapy, because you couldn't really do family therapy in a class. But during the group therapy, I mean, God did a lot of cool stuff in my heart in the, in the individual therapy, but during the group therapy sessions, God brought great healing to my heart over my past. But the problem was I had to pass through a crucible to get to that healing. Because we were talking in class one night. We had been required to do what was called our um, if it was psychosocial, I think it was psychosocial history. We had to write a biography. What events in your life shaped who you are today and how you relate to the world? All of us had to write one. All of us had to verbally share, orally share this story in our class. Again, it was a cohort. Everyone's talking. It, nothing leaves the room. The professor even shared his story. The professor shared that he had been molested as a child. And that when he was in his ministry, his district superintendent came one night and said, I want to, um, I want, he announced in in the middle of the service where he was preaching. He said, I'm sorry, I didn't get a chance to to let you know ahead of time, but could you please make sure we have a basin of water and some towels because I'm going to do some foot washing here. I I plan first of all to wash your pastor's feet and I'm going to wash the leaders of your church's feet because I'm the district superintendent. I think it models what Christ did. And that's what we're going to do this evening. And so the pastor got up and walked out of the service. Everyone thinking he's walking out to go get the bucket of water and the towels. He went out onto the front porch. He was white as a sheet. He was shaking. And his wife realized something was wrong. And she came out and she said, what's going on? You've been out here way too long. What's going on? He said, he can't touch my feet. He can't touch my feet. I can't let him touch my feet. I can't let him touch my feet. And she asked, what's going on? Well, it was at that point when he finally revealed that he had been molested as a child by someone in authority over him. And here this man who was in authority over him was wanting to touch him in an intimate way. And he could not do it. It was just overwhelming to him. And he was just in a white-hot panic in the middle of a church service. And it wasn't even something he was aware of. It's another student in the class shared his same story of abuse, problems, etc. And all of us, and I already shared mine. I had already shared hours before, maybe even the day before. And as these guys are sharing, this 
rage begins welling up inside of me. And I didn't want to be inappropriate in the class. So I walked out of the class, down the hall to the bathrooms. Now, it's in the basement of a small building, so it's basically the classroom, the hallway, the stairs up, and the men's room, the ladies' room. So it's just a tiny little area. I went into the men's room, and I lost it. I lost it. If I could have ripped the metal partitions off the walls and crumpled them, I would have done it. There was that much rage. And I was screaming at the top of my lungs, and I was, it was just, it was like, just, it was like depths coming out, and just roiling, rage. And I finally crumpled in a heap on the floor. Now, the class knew what was going on because they could hear it. So they all came running. The ladies stood outside. The men went into the men's room. And the professor was there. And they're all standing there going, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. As I'm just melting. And I finally crumple into a heap. And the only thing I could continue to say was, I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him for what he did to me. I hate how he ruined my life. I hate how he ruined my relationships. the first time in my life I remember actually feeling that kind of hate. It was the beginning of my healing. But just expressing that I had been harmed was not enough. Just expressing that I had been violated was not enough. Just expressing that I had the emotion of hate was not enough. I had to process past that to the point where I was able to say, I forgive him for what he did to me. That is not something that happened that night. It was a long process. It got to the point, ultimately, where I was able to say, he was a broken human being. He was a very damaged human being living in a very horrible, horrible house. I already shared with you his brother killed his mother with a gun. Who knows what happened with his father? I never met his father. I have no idea what his life was like, nor do I know anything about him now. I have no idea what happened to him. But God brought me to the point where I was able to come to an understanding that this broken individual, who wasn't even an adult himself, who was roiling with his own stuff, found an outlet in me for his own sick need. And the end result was he broke me and damaged me and ruined my life. But I could not continue to hold that. I couldn't. There's no way that I could pastor people with that kind of rage and pain inside of me. There's no way. There's definitely no way. I can't say the name because we're recording this. But you people know this church's history. There's no way I could have ministered to members of this community and members of this congregation. Without having already resolved all of that for myself. And it was not sufficient for me to simply say, I forgive him, okay? It's like the colored pencil trying to erase the mark off the page. I didn't have an eraser strong enough to do it. I couldn't. 
But once I turned to my father and said, you know what? I'm a sinner. And I know that I'm vile. I know that I have offended you. I know. But I need you to forgive me. And once I had that part done, then I could forgive him. Because, I mean, not that I could forgive. I, then I had to forgive him is what I was trying to say. Because in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 to 15, wherever it's at, Jesus said, if I don't forgive the one who has harmed me, I will not be forgiven by my father. So there's this really crazy, interesting dynamic that we go through as human beings. We're all broken. We're all sinners. We're all damaged goods. We all bounce off of each other and bumping into each other, harming each other, sometimes intentionally, sometimes not. And all of us have bruises and brokenness and damage that ends up causing us to be who we are. Some of us never get the help that we need. Some of us push it down and push it down and push it down and it never goes away. And it ends up we walk around broken and hurting people all the time. Now, I'm not trying to talk psychobabble. Don't hear me talking that. But one of the things I read when I was studying about forgiveness was we live in a culture where nobody wants to hurt anybody. We live in a culture where nobody wants to offend anybody. We live in a culture where we don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable. So we whitewash things that need to be exposed. So we don't name what needs to be named. And the end result is nobody gets the help that they need. Because see, I cannot come to God and receive healing from God until I admit that I have offended God. Until I'm able to say, I am a sinner. And I am bound for hell because I am a sinner. I cannot acknowledge the need for for salvation and grace. But once I pass that, once I go through that crucible and say, I am a sinner. And I acknowledge my culpability before the Almighty. I can then say, I receive the grace of God. And I receive your forgiveness. But the problem is, we're not allowed to get off at that point. We have to continue on. And Jesus said in his own words, and the next part of this is, if you want to be forgiven, you forgive those who have harmed you. No. I can remember years ago when we had a sign out front there and people were continually uh, messing with that sign. I remember standing out there in the dark one night, pronouncing curses on the person who was doing it. I was so angry. I was standing out there screaming curses. And I literally was saying, I curse you in the name of Jesus. I curse you. And the Holy Spirit said, excuse me? That is not your position. You are to bless and not curse. And I had to confess my sin and stand out there and bless and not curse. See, it's real easy when Jesus says, you need to forgive seven times 70. Okay, I forgive them. Do you really? Do you really? I can't even begin to share with you because time would get away from us and also it's being recorded and who knows who's going to hear this. So I'm not going to share with you specific, specific instances in my own life that are going on even today. But there are situations in my life today where I'm having to give up my own stuff and have to look over my own desire for my own right and my own 
I, you, know, you hurt me, you hurt my family, you hurt my wife, and I'm never going to forgive you. I can't do that. Number one, I can't continue to be a pastor and do that. Number two, I can't continue to be a Christian and do that. So if I want the blessings of being a child of the king with my hope in the eternal, with my looking to the everlasting life with my father in heaven, I have to deal with this person who has harmed me and my family. And I don't want to. Because it's very nice to hold on to my little I don't like you's. But you see, when you're trying to pray and you can't even say, forgive me my debts as I'm forgiving those who have sinned against me, you got a problem. And so I have to get over myself or I have to turn the pencil over to God and say, I've used up all the eraser that I had. Can you just fix this, please? Either put a new eraser on me or erase it yourself. Because, oh my goodness, <laughs> it's not in me to make this right. Because I want them to hurt in the way that they hurt me. I want them to suffer. How come they can get off by just simply saying, I'm sorry? Don't they understand the pain that they've caused? The harm that they've wreaked, the havoc that they've wreaked, the harm that they've caused? Just go out and say you're sorry and it's supposed to be alright? And at this, but at the same time, every stinking time that I start thinking those thoughts, the Holy Spirit of God says, and which one of you, Bob, can say you are without sin? If so, feel free, cast that stone. But if not, Drop it and walk away. <sighs> I don't like those words, God. I like the fact that I'm a child of the King. And His grace has found me. And that I'm clean in His sight. And that I have a, a home waiting for me. And I'm going to be walking on streets of gold. But the reality is, the deal of being a Christian, especially while we're still here on this earth, is we cannot hold grudges and we cannot wish harm. We have to bless those who curse us. We have to forgive as we have been forgiven. And it is not a glib statement and it is not an easy statement. But it is the right thing to do. It is the thing that will bring wholeness and health and true peace. And now I've opened up a bunch of cans of worms. And there's nothing I can do about it. I just asked the Lord what I needed to say to you. And he said, tell your story. And I was like, I don't want to tell my story. <laughs> but it's a story that needs to be told. And... Judging from some of the expressions on some of the faces in this room, I think there's some stories that need to be dealt with in your own world. So let's just leave it at that. Let's pray.